Heather McKenzie, thanks for having a chat with us. Absolutely happy to be here. You've been in Australia five weeks now? I've been in Australia five weeks this trip. On the road? Yeah, on the road. Where have you been? Oh, I've been some places. (laughs) Uh, I spent a fair amount of time in Queensland, but I actually went up to the outback. Oh, wow. And spent four nights in the outback in western Queensland. Beautiful. Uh, I got all the way out to Matabara. Matabara. <laughs> Have you even ever heard of it? I've never heard no. of it. No. <laughs> it's population 88. Wow. And I think they all turned out for my talk. <laughs> so I was up there talking about um, mental health and resilience. As okay. you probably know, in Queensland, they're in year seven of a massive drought. Yeah. And so uh, I was brought up there to, to yeah, tackle nice. that topic. Okay. But I, I, I've never been so far out in Australia. <laughs> It was awesome. I guess you get to see sort of the full gamut of Australia and Australians. I mean, it's really nice to be able to come out and see some of those parts of the world, right? It's been amazing. Uh, this is actually my third trip out in less than seven months. Okay, cool. Um, so I've spent time, gosh, I've been to uh, Townsville, Mackay, Rocky, Gladstone, Toowoomba, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide. Um, all over McLaren Vale. I mean, that wasn't nice. important. I mean, got to go get some wine. Where'd you go in the Vale? Uh, that's a great question. We went to like four places, and Heather just got on and off the bus as she was told. Drink some nice wine. I, yeah, I don't ask any questions when people are offering wine. I just generally say yes. Um, I mean, part of the thing that Southstar is, is really trying to champion, I suppose, is is you know having more of these conversations about you know all, all different topics, but um, you know creating transparency and, and communication here in SA because I think historically there's you know there's been a bit of kind of a, a wall up around around startups and around yeah. business in general so you know trying to really really bring that to the forefront and, and work out what we need to do to take it to that next level agreed agreed how does it look from an outsider coming in I mean did, did you know much about Adelaide obviously you've been to Australia a bit in the last few years but yeah so I'd been to Adelaide once in May okay. um, and so I was uh, brought out back uh, by Joe Thorpe when he was CEO of Tech and SA and so sure. Um, I gave a talk primarily on my Me Too case, so I had a, a, a pretty massive sexual assault in the workplace case back in 2014. Okay. So I did a keynote there, and then I was on a panel with uh, Nikki Vincent and Donnie Walford okay. uh, that Rebecca Morse moderated for us. So that was what first brought me to Adelaide several months ago, and I've just immediately felt an affinity for the city. And then uh, in the other part of my career where I'm head of due diligence for uh, a seed capital fund out of the U.S., I just saw tremendous opportunities here in Adelaide to um, come in and partner and collaborate with the ecosystem here. So really excited to be back. What are some of those opportunities, do you think? So I look at Adelaide and I see, or South Australia in general, um, and I see that you're about 10 years back from where we were in Colorado. So in Colorado, 10 to 12 years ago, we were heavily reliant upon mining, oil and gas, uh, tourism, pretty traditional industries. And when the bottom fell out of the economy, we had to reinvent and bring innovation in to build a more robust economy. And so we've got a really strong um, venture and angel community, a startup ecosystem. We are now ranked, man, I better not get this wrong. Uh, I believe right now our current ranking is we are the number two startup ecosystem in the entire United States. Wow. And so there's actually a group out of uh, Brisbane. It's run by River City Labs. Steve Baxter started it. And so Aaron Berkby uh, takes mission trips. He brings entrepreneurs and community leaders to the United States, among other countries. And when they come to the U.S., the two systems they study are Silicon Valley and Denver Boulder. So we're quite proud of that. And I really see a lot of um, industry alignment. I see a lot of diversification in industries that are happening here in Adelaide now, where you're getting into space and deep tech 
artificial intelligence, uh, health tech, agri-tech, so that diversification of economy matches up to what we've done in Colorado. And so I'm really excited that we're going to be bringing some programs here and some funding here for uh, early entrepreneurs. That's really cool to hear. One of the, the common threads that we've been talking about um, in these chats and, and at dinner last night is about you know needing to sort of you know plant the seed early, and you know it does take time to sort of you mm. know grow the roots of mm. a um, of a startup or, or of, a, of an industry or a community yeah. to yep. foster that. Absolutely, yeah. We're here to work with the startups that are already producing revenue. Um, and are ready within about six month time frame to go international. And so we're here specifically, the programs that we run are specifically to prepare them for entry into American markets. Okay. And um, kind of along the veins of the talk I just gave on founder mental health, we at Three Lines Capital and at the core, which is my consulting firm, we really believe in, in the whole entrepreneur's experience. And so it's not just about the money. In fact, in my opinion, the money is kind of the least important part. Sure. Uh, the social capital is really important. The networks are really important. And so we open up our global networks. We help them find their ideal first customer. We help them figure out which region in the U.S. they want to launch into. We provide them with opportunities for mentors and advisors and then my special passion and the work that I do inside the firm is around uh, founder mental health and just making sure that we're building resilience, especially if you're about to go global. Yep. That's a whole new level of entrepreneurship. And so we want to take care of the entire uh, entrepreneur's well-being, not just, not just the finances. We were just talking to Lewis from uh, Unity, um, and he was actually touching on those topics and, and how that um, you know, a founder or CEO's... Um, state of mind filters through the whole organization as it well. It absolutely does. Yeah. So leadership, of course, and culture begins at the top. Yep. And one of the points I made on stage was to try to foster an environment where there's transparency around mental health and mental health issues and to not only give permission to, but actually encourage your employees to take time out during the day, go take a 30 minute walk, go do a meditation session in a quiet room, go do whatever you need to do to take care of your health. But that actually, there are plenty of studies that show that that actually improves the productivity yep. and thus the revenue of companies if you have a more holistic approach. And do you find um, in the States, because I know here, you know, it's obviously sort of becoming demystified and, and more open, but there's, yes. there's, there still is stigma around it. Massive, mm. right? Nobody wants to talk about it and everybody's experiencing it. Yep. So <laughs> I, I get a group of founders in a room and everybody's, you know, everything's great and yeah. I'm raising money and the company's going well and I have all this customer traction. And then I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with founders and when they're one-on-one -on -one with me, that's when the tears come and the, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to make payroll in four weeks or my, you know, my burn rate's really high or whatever it is. And it, and it actually happened at last night's dinner. Okay. Um, that's how we ended up making this pivot. So I was here to talk about uh, building bridges between our regional economies in Colorado and in South Australia. Yeah, so you really did pivot quite quickly then. Oh, no. I, it was literally a 2 a.m. pivot. And I took a 45-minute keynote and cut it to 20 minutes and sent Danielle all the slides at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> but it was as a result of sitting with people last night and having those radically authentic and transparent conversations and a few founders that were having conversations with me actually got even a little teary-eyed and went, oh my God, you, you are describing my journey. Mm. There is somebody who understands what I'm going through. And it's about creating, in my opinion, it's about creating uh, psychologically safe spaces where yeah. people can let those walls down and be, we're all going through the human experience, right? We're all working out our stuff in this lifetime. And so 
I think the more transparent we can be about it, the more human unity and connection it actually fosters. And I think that just flows straight across into business as well. It's the, the, the same principle of being transparent and, and talking about the experience. It's good for the community in general and, and, just, so. and good for business, so internally, but also, you know, um, you know, with competition yeah. potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I believe in radical transparency in life in general. Uh, again, I'm all about fostering human connection, and I think that the ways that we can do that are are finding the ways that we are we and we are indeed more alike than we are different. We're all going through the same experience. I like to say we're all one race. Yeah. We're the human race. Sure. And so, the more common connection points that we can find with one another the better it is or the easier it is to foster empathy and compassion for people that you're either doing business with or in relationship with of some sort. Some of the other things we've been talking about, um, um, trying to foster, um, you're talking about you know, the agility to just you know, change your, your keynote at the last minute. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so formal education, so coming out of university, mm. the, there seems to be a lack of that kind of agile thinking and, and not just not just from a, you know, from a agility as sort of a framework for, for mm. business, but just, just mentally being able to, you know, uh, deal with failure and, and, and go through the ups and downs that you're going to face yeah. when you actually get out into the real Absolutely. world. Absolutely, Yeah, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that adversity builds resilience. Mm. Um, so we need a certain amount of sort of pressure testing because it does help build our resilience. But at the same time, um, I think you can tip too far okay. and have that adversity sort of ruling your life. Yeah. So for me, it was really important to go back and integrate past traumas that I had experienced um, I, w- I was already a pretty high-functioning, high-capacity individual at a big company. Um, I'm a single mom with six kids. I was managing a lot, but I actually didn't realize the impact that some past traumas and some childhood experiences had on my thinking and my brain patterning and all those kinds of things. And okay. so, yes, adversity is important, and we all experience it, uh, and it can build resilience in some positive things. But, man, when you can actually integrate your experiences and understand how they're affecting the way that you think, behave, and make decisions, it's a game changer. You, you remove all that ballast and you're just, you soar even higher. I think that's just about, um, you know, knowing yourself and, and having the, the freedom to actually, you know, look inside and, and, and talk about that yeah. too, which is just sort of letting some barriers down, isn't it? It is, and it's a scary journey. It is scary. It's really scary. I, I, I often say the tipping point um, for making these kind of changes is when the pain of being stuck where you are mm. uh, begins to outweigh the fear that you have of taking the journey. And that's the real tipping point. And people generally won't make that shift until the pain becomes so unbearable that they're like, I have to do something. Something has to, something has to happen. But you don't have to get to that point. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can choose to address it earlier. How do, we, how do you think we you know, teach people that at a younger age? How do you, how do you start sort of you know, broadcasting that message out and, and, and letting people know that. Yeah, so I, I do think um, it goes all the way back to early childhood. Mm. Um, there's some really seminal work um, that's been done um, it's the, called the Representation Project. Uh, okay. Jennifer Siebel Newsom is her name. Um, she had a breakthrough film at the 2011 Sundance Film Festival called Miss uh, Representation, M-I-S-S, and then Representation. Okay. And it talked about societally, at least in America, how from a very young age we teach girls to behave in certain ways. And we teach them that their worth is based on their looks and other things. And then she followed it up with what I thought was an even more impactful documentary. I believe it was 2014. And it's called The Mask You Live In, uh, which is a word play on masculine. And it talked about how in American society, from a very young age, we teach boys that really the only two acceptable emotions are anger and aggression. We are all born with a full range of human emotion and experience. 
but from that very young age, that conditioning is set in, and even just the phrases that are used, right? Don't cry like a girl. Yeah. Don't be a pussy. Don't be a, you know, all these awful messages that we give boys, and so they repress everything, mm-hmm. but they're still there. Yeah. And so that's where we start to see what I call, and what she calls, toxic masculinity. Yeah. And when that enters into the workplace and into the business world, and you have those kind of people leading um, who aren't allowed to express the full range of human emotion, they begin to objectify others around them. The women are are sort of holding the roles that they've been taught. And so I do think it starts like at a really young age yeah. with letting children know that it's not only acceptable um, to experience all those emotions, but that you can, you can be in control of your emotions. We all have feelings. It's just how you choose to act and react in situations. Mm. And, and actually, and actually feeling them, right? Cause I think yeah. men get taught pretty young. You, you know, don't, they can't. yeah, that's right. And what a, what a terrible shame. It is right. Yeah. I think a good cry is a good thing for all of us. It's very cathartic. 100%. Um, And I think all of that back in sort of the business lens is is just so important because, I mean, you do end up with toxic culture that that breeds, you know, bad products, whatever it might be. Well, we're certainly seeing a lot of that come out, right, with the Me Too movement. Um, Oh, yeah. Time's up, all the things. I've seen uh, some of the scandals in Australian society that have been coming to light lately as well. Yeah. So it's all coming forward. It's just been there underneath the entire time. I do think there's positive change instead of the, the younger Absolutely. generations coming through. And I think it is starting to change. No, the millennials are going to save uh, my generation from all the stuff we've screwed up, <laughs> frankly. <I hope> so. <laughs> millennials and Gen Zs. I have great hope for the planet and for the people on it because of them. Yep. Yep. They need to just, uh, I think we, we, we need to, looking back and the Gen Zs, is give them the opportunities and, get, and give them that sort of... Uh, the freedom to sort of do whatever they want, which is why these things are great, right? So we can actually start yeah. the conversations and, and let people know there's, you know, there's infinite opportunities out there. Yeah, I mean, obviously the internet's changed a ton of things, sure. right? I grew up in the, in the era before it. Mm. Um, and so I think that that has allowed kids to have, um, to form their own opinions and original thoughts because they can go research almost anything they want to, right? Like, I'm really dating myself, but we had like the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, so it's sure. like, oh, right, uh, well. yeah, we'll get out volume L and look up this. And so being able to have the, like, the vast resources available, I think, produces more diversity of thought among them. Um, but I know I make a real effort um, to make sure that they understand their contributions are valuable now. It's not all about age and experience. Yep. Um, one of my closest mentors is 32 years old. Sure. I'm 52. She's 32. I learn a lot from her. That's nice. What, what excites you about the future? You have got six kids, so bringing them into the, you know, into the world. What what do you see their future like when they're when they're fifty two? Uh, well, hopefully taking care of me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, kidding. Uh, no, it's really cool to me. So uh, my sixth one is actually turning eighteen on Friday. Cool. So I am leaving this conference and getting on a plane and going back to America to make sure I'm there for her birth, her eighteenth birthday. Exciting. Um, but what has been really cool? So I have five kids in their twenties. And they are all living in their purpose. They're living authentically. Uh, they're living as compassionate human beings, which is the most important thing to me. But they've cho- been able, they've had the freedom, I guess, to choose really unique paths. I have, I have a professional tuba player. I have a professional right. race car driver. I have a Michelin chef. Wow. Uh, I have a stand-up comic. I have a choreographer. Like, it's really, really cool diverse. to me. That's cool. Yeah, so they're all entrepreneurs, right? They're very expressive, too. Yeah, very creatively mm. expressive. And I told them, you guys are going to be the only ones that AI can't replace. Sure. AI and machine learning will never replace human creativity and art. So. And I think that was, that was sort of where the question was kind of going in around, you know, w- w- 
for young kids now, someone being born in 2018, mm. what, you know, what does 2040 look like in terms of the right. workforce? And I think, I think those expressive, creative um, career paths are, are never going to be taken over by, by AI or you know, no. automation in any no. way. No, they're so individualistic and I just have the greatest respect for any type of creative. They're the ones who provide the beauty and the nuance and the texture and the joy that we all, I mean, think about the joy we all experience in art or in music. Yeah. To me, music is the most universal language. You travel anywhere in the world and music is part of the culture. Mm. Whatever kind it is, it's, it's a universal language that we all speak and that all touches, touches all of us. Music, yeah. food, laughter. Yeah, are, right. Going across the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But that's, again, that's what provides the joy and the richness in the human experience. Not that we don't need people that work in corporate offices, and I worked in one for many, many years, yeah. but, um, but I think you're right. In the future, it's, the creatives are going to maintain that human connection. And at our core, we are wired for human connection. That is one yeah. of our most primal needs is to be connected to other human beings. Mm. And so in this age of technology advancing, um, which is great, and if we use tech for good, that's awesome. Um, but I just think we have to maintain the human connection we have with one another despite whatever artificial intelligence or other kind of technology comes into play. And I think, I think some of the exciting things is if you know, automation, AI does start taking over, you know, a lot of jobs, it actually opens up space for people yeah. to, to actually, you know, do more fulfilling careers exactly. and, and actually, you know, use the creativity. And I think creativity hides in many places. David here is a, um, a developer, but a very creative developer, right? All, and, all and, developers and, are creative. And, and you have to, you know, it's, it's just about connecting dots, isn't it? To yeah, connect yeah. sort of disparate dots. Um, and I think if we've got more time to actually, you know, sit back and think and... and I agree. That busyness, space, that yeah. busyness thing. Yeah. One of, it's both good and bad, but I have the, the little Alexa device, that, right? Yeah, and yeah, so now, one, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I can just stand in my kitchen and say, hey, Alexa, order this from the grocery store. And then it like shows up the next day on Amazon Prime. It's the craziest thing. It's nice. Well, we're, we're, also dangerous. It is, it is dangerous, yeah. <laughs> hey, Alexa, I need a new pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Where, um, what restaurant, Michelin restaurant is your... Um, he, he is at, uh, it's a son. Yeah. He is at Acadia. It's oh, a, wow. In yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. You know your food. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. No, he spent some time at North Pond. Yeah. Um, and then he was also at Alinea, oh, wow. which is a three-star. Yeah. And then he's cooked in Paris, Rome, Barcelona, Lisbon, and he's only 26 years old. Cool. So, yeah. I'm a big foodie. So, so he, every time he comes home, I'm like, so do you want to cook for mom? <laughs> I just happened to assemble some ingredients here for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty special. No, I've never got to Denver before, but I'd, I'd love to. My, my wife's American, so we're oh, going to the East Coast. Okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fantastic place to live. Um, we have a really robust and growing economy. Mm. Um, honestly, part of it is because of marijuana. Oh, that's great. What, we, $400 million in tax in the first, was it the yeah, first quarter or first yeah, year? Yeah, yeah. We're in, and in revenue this year, we passed the $1 billion wow. mark in August, yeah. so the earliest in a calendar year that we've passed a billion in revenue. Wow. Um, so, yeah, seeing some really exciting benefits, not only for the economy, um, which are important, mm. but now there are studies out showing that m marijuana use is having a positive effect on the opioid crisis in yeah, America sure. um, and on PTSD and returning military veterans. And there's just a lot of good that can come of it. So, yeah, that's certainly part of our economy, but we're a really strong startup ecosystem as well. I think they found the same thing in uh, in Portugal when they decriminalized. Mm. You know that the, they had like a, I think a, a heroin epidemic over there, and that yep. and that really got reduced too. So um, 
It's definitely the way forward. Canada's now jumped on board. Yes, yes, yeah. And Australia's now able to federally export yes. medical marijuana, yep, which, is which is a good. game changer for your economy. Yep. Yep. I think we're a few years behind uh, decriminalization or total decriminalization yep. nationwide, but... Hopefully it's coming, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's one of those things. Well, how do you feel in Denver? How, how much has government played a role in the, in the ecosystem? Because I think historically in SA, people have looked to the government to sort of you know, be that big brother, whatever, to, yeah, to help boy yeah. things up. Whereas I personally don't necessarily, I mean, obviously it helps, but I think mm. we need to do it ourselves, right? From the grassroots level. Yeah, that's de definitely one of the differences I see between the ecosystems. Uh, government does not play as strong a role yep. in the United States in entrepreneurship. And I do think that helps create kind of a hunger yeah. um, that I don't necessarily always see here. That yep. Certainly I don't want to generalize, but... Yeah, um, sure. Uh, the government's played some important roles recently. Um, I've been involved in a project. My firm has been involved in a project around smart cities. Okay. Yeah, so sure. we have built uh, the largest smart cities alliance in the United States. It, we think it may be also in the world. Okay. We now have 90% of Colorado's 5.4 million citizens covered under this alliance. Okay. And we've been able to bring private sector, public sector, policymakers, uh, academia, and most importantly, the, the voice of the citizens together to create this alliance. And we just have announced um, a brand new living lab in Colorado where companies will be able to come in and test in real time, kind of beta test their different technologies. And that was one that the government did uh, support. So Aero Electronics, a uh, big multinational company, they supported it. And then the Colorado Office of Economic Development and International Trade uh, put in a half a million dollar grant into that. So we do cool. see some, yep. but um, far less. Not reliant on it. But here's the thing. Our angel community and our investment community is far more mature than any I've seen across yeah. Australia yet. And so that's actually part of our mission when we come in to begin providing funding and to provide the holistic help for entrepreneurs. That's only one side of the equation. You've got to have a strong investor community as well yep. to support entrepreneurship. Mm. So we're really keen to... Um, start working with your angel communities here and with your venture capitalists here to, to create collaborations and help mature the system to the point where it can support South Australians, South Australia's startup ecosystem without an international injection of, of cash. And I think we've worked with a number of um, startups in, in the app world over, over the years. Mm. And, and going back five years, you know, there really, there wasn't avenues to really have those conversations right? with investors. I mean, and yeah. that, that's improving now, I think. But um, yeah, historically, it just wasn't really there. No, and I, from, again, I hate to generalize, but from what I've seen in, in I've probably been to 30 cities or regions around Australia so far. Um, it seems to be a pretty conservative investment community when so. you get when you're t at that angel sort of early stage, yeah. early venture. Um, if they can't see it and touch it, it it's a little scary. Uh, if they they want to, you know, either immediate return or two to three year. Yeah. Um, I just spoke uh, at a dinner earlier this week with Steve Baxter, sure. and um, he talked. He and I both talked about how it's really like more of a ten year play. Yeah. And diversifying your portfolio, not. It's, it's not, you can't bet all on red, right? No, that's like, right. It, there, there, aren't, there are a few unicorn companies, but, but that's not, not an investment they're, they're strategy. They're unicorn for a reason, right? Right, that's not an investment strategy. So the importance of diversifying your portfolio across mm. whatever verticals are important to you. Um, we at Three Lines Capital um, build our portfolio around smart cities. So our bigger play is in creating smart cities alliances. So we look to fund companies that support a smart city. So uh, biotech, medtech, health tech, because we have to take care of the health of the citizens. Yep. Agritech, because we need to feed people. And with climate change, 
uh, coming. We've got to find new and innovative ways to uh, produce our agriculture in, yeah. in different ways. And then we support um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, Internet of Things, robotics, cybersecurity, and then sort of any big data plays um, that can help a city run more efficiently. So, And that's some of the exciting stuff that's happening in SA um, now around. Massively. Mm. Yeah, we just, again, we just saw this massive alignment. And so uh, we're very excited that we're going to start collaborating here really soon. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks so much for having a chat with us. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm glad you enjoyed uh, SA and got to sample some of our wine. Oh, uh, it's it's just a beautiful city. Uh, that Mod Museum. Yep. Oh my gosh, amazing! I I could just get lost in. I did get lost in there, <laughs> <laughs> not physically, but <laughs> yeah. You guys have an amazing, amazing city and um, really creative and welcoming and warm people. Um, and I'm looking forward to being back in Adelaide in the next couple months again. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for the All chat. All right. Thanks, Sam. Cheers.